Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our Sunday morning service. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. You know, I forgot to mention earlier, in your bulletin, there's a connection card. We take prayer seriously. I, I hope you've heard that already. If you have a prayer request, if there's a way we can serve you, if there's any kind of information that we can give you, please fill that out. And when you leave, you can just you know, hand it to the ushers, put it in the offering basket. So uh, we're, we're coming to a conclusion in this series, All I Want for Christmas Is. And uh, we've been seeing what it is that God wants us to have and what Christmas is all about. And I had this funny experience as we've gone through this. I've sort of done an informal poll about how most people fill out that, complete that statement, all I want for Christmas is. And I've found it's, there's a generational line. How many of you would complete that sentence by saying, my two front teeth? Yeah, yeah. All right, I was born in 1962. Some of you are a little longer, younger than that, but uh, how many of you would fill it out with you? Uh, well, it's not so many. Well, it's, well you, you voted twice. You can't do that. Well, the first uh, song was written in 1944. The second song was finished in 19, uh, was 1994 uh, and 50 years in between them. But, but, you know, as we've looked at this, we've had some fun. And, and today... The title is, All I Want for Christmas is You. And we're looking at that from God's perspective. All God wants for this celebration is you and you and you and you. He wants all of us. So with that in mind, would you bow your heads and let's pray. God, we thank you that you desire us. You desire to, to be in a relationship with us. And, and Lord, we thank you that that. Your word, the scriptures, reveal that from beginning to end, that you're in pursuit of a relationship with us. So, Lord, we ask that today that you would uh, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and, and that we would hear that message in a way that maybe we've never heard it before and that you would meet us where we are in this place on Christmas Day, 2016. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning we're going to read uh, part of the Christmas story, or at least it gets pulled into the Christmas scriptures, that is seldom read. Uh, um, it follows the uh, first 20 or so verses of, of Luke chapter uh, 2. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to pick it up in, in verse 25. So if you have a Bible handy or the Bible app, it's also going to be on the screen. Uh, this is Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin with uh, uh, verse 25. Let me just sort of uh, give you some background here. Um, uh, chronologically, this would have happened roughly about a month and a half after the birth of Jesus. Um, we know that because of the uh, rites of purification required for Jewish women to go through after they've given birth. And this passage speaks to that. So Joseph and Mary are raising Jesus in conformity to the Jewish law. And they travel with their newborn to Jerusalem uh, to complete what the law commanded. Uh, while, and while they were there, they have this encounter. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before, we had, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that would be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I want to make a couple of points this morning uh, that really come out of this scripture. And, And here's the first one. You and I need to praise God as our Savior. We need to praise God as our Savior. In this scripture, uh, Simeon is, is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is, is the Messiah. That, that's what uh, the Jews talked about, the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. And, and when Simeon sees Jesus, he's moved to praise God for his salvation. Here's what we know about Simeon. Now, some people say he's old because he's talking about dying. We don't really know Uh, what age Simeon was, Uh, but we know he was righteous and devout, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, One scholar describes Simeon as one of the believing remnant of Judaism, looking forward to the the messianic age in a spiritual sense, looking forward to to the Messiah to come and, and change the world. In a spiritual order, not in a military order, order, which many people were looking for to happen. In other words, Simeon, he was the real deal. He was a true believer. He wasn't a status quo keeper of religious rituals and power. He, he wasn't looking for a Messiah who was going to throw, overthrow the Roman occupiers. He, he was... Um, not holding up traditions, not going through the motions, not keeping the religious machine moving. He was really seeking God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and all of his mind. Let me remind you of how he praised God. Beginning in verse 29, he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people, of your people, Israel. Now, uh, some of you may have grown up or or maybe have worshipped in a liturgical church where where you've uh, uh, read morning prayers and evening prayers. Uh, This is often referred to in the evening prayers as the Nunc Dimittis. And it's very similar to the, the song of Mary uh, in the Gospel of Luke that we, we call the Magnificant or, or the song of Zechariah that we call the Benedictus. Um, this, those were used 
in the morning prayers. This was used in the evening prayers. And it's an affirmation of God and what he has done. And it recounts some of the prophetic words of the Old Testament prophecies. People use it to worship God. Praising God for our salvation is really what Christmas is all about. Praising God for what he has done for us. So, so when you peel back all the things that we brought into the celebration of Christmas, above all things, Christmas is a day to praise God for sending us a Savior. At the risk of sounding a little like a Scrooge, you know, here's, a, here's a quick history of the celebration of Christmas in the church for centuries, it wasn't celebrated in the church. Uh, originally, uh, the church didn't celebrate Christ's birth. The high holy day in Christendom and Christianity, of course, was Easter because it celebrated uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus where our salvation became clear to us. Um, in the 1600s, mid-1600s, the Puritans in, in England uh, and the English Parliament actually banned Christmas and uh, declared it a day of fasting. A bah humbug, huh? Uh, <laughs> but things didn't really change when the Puritans came to uh, America. In 1659, the Puritans in Boston outlawed uh, Christmas. Um, they felt like uh, the day uh, on the calendar um, wasn't supported in Scripture, and so it wasn't, uh, wasn't the day to celebrate. But, but truly, even in our country, uh, it, it wasn't uh, widely accepted a, as a holiday, um, in 1855, the New York Times reported that most churches would be closed on Christmas Day. Um, by the 1860s, really less than half of the United States that were states at that time uh, recognized it as a holiday. So, so you know, think about that. Um, 160 years ago, most people living in the U.S., including Christians, didn't celebrate the day of Christmas. So that changed. As time went by, that changed. And today we celebrate it. It's a day we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and obviously we bring so many other traditions into it, meaningful traditions. This Christmas season for me, as we've sung songs and Christmas carols, I've just been moved by the rich theology of Christmas songs. Uh, maybe part of that's because unlike uh, other times, I, I played a lot of Christmas music when I've been in the cars, and, and I've just been struck by those rich theological phrases. I, I would encourage you, just even as your own devotional time, even in these next days, to listen to particularly the Christmas carols and, and the rich theology that is there as a way to celebrate them. Um, you know, we should be like Simeon. We should praise God for our salvation. And that's, that's so key to what the celebration of Christmas is all about. Praising God that, that we have a Savior. Now, to do that, I, I encourage you uh, to do a couple things. First, if you've never believed and said, Jesus, I do believe you came to earth. I do believe you were born. I do believe that you died and rose again to save me from my sins. If you've never told him that. I encourage you to do that and, and receive his forgiveness and his promise of eternal life. Thank him for sending you a Savior. But, but then, if you've already done that, make it a point on a daily basis to remember what he has done for you. 
and praise him and, and thank you, just like Simeon did. Simeon waited. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the patience. I mean, it, reading between the lines, it, it would appear to me that Simeon daily, daily, for years, went to the temple, worshiped God, thanked him, and said, Lord, I'm looking forward to your Messiah. And somewhere in his relationship with God, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Simon, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah, the consolation of Israel, as he called it. And so he had hope. We should live in that same hope. And we should celebrate it daily. Find those reasons to do that. Celebrate and praise God that your Savior has come and that when you believe in him, your promise of eternal life is there. And it's not just out in the future on the day that you die and you go to heaven. He's here to walk with you now, today, tomorrow, and the next day. To grow in that relationship with him. So, you know, praise him Praise God that he sent you a Savior. Praise him. But, but here's the second thing that, that I, I see in the words of Simeon. And, and this um, really becomes challenging as you may have noticed how the tone of what Simeon said changed in the latter part of that scripture. And here's the point that I want to make. Embrace the call of his lordship. Embrace it, accept it, receive it. You know, he came to be your Savior, but he also came to be your Lord. So embrace the call of his Lordship. Simeon spoke in two parts. You, you may have noticed that. The first part, he, he, he talks about praising God for the one, as the one who sent the Savior to him. And then he turned to Joseph and Mary, and he spoke to them, and specifically to Mary. And he talked about the defining person that Jesus would be. Let's read those verses again. Verse 34 through 35. Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the sword will pierce your own soul, too. This statement by Simeon is less known than the other. It's not included in liturgies and in some churches. It's, it's hard. It's challenging. It's difficult. The, the first verses by Simeon are, are rather tame compared to these verses. Uh, they tend to focus on the truth that Jesus brings peace and salvation to earth. But, but how does that happen? Yes, Jesus came to be God incarnate. He came to earth. To, he came and he, with the purpose to pay the price for the sins of the world so that if we accept his forgiveness and receive him, he would be our Savior and we could walk with him every day. So if we believe that, we're saved. Now do we just pass the days until our bodies fail and we die and we are welcomed into heaven? That's not what these verses tell us to do. But believing in Jesus saves us and it brings us eternal peace through his, authority, uh, through his saving grace. But he's also our Lord. 
and the peace that he brings for his followers. While it promises eternal peace and it promises peace in a relationship, sometimes, though, we understand that peace is not that simple. Pastor Tim Keller has written this. How does a surgeon bring peace to your body if it has a tumor in it? The surgeon has to hurt you to bring healing. Or how does a therapist help a a person that's downcast or depressed? Often she has to bring up the past, getting the patient to confront painful memories and terrible feelings. The surgeon and the therapist often have to make you feel worse before you can feel better and peaceful. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Oh, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he came to start a military revolution. Uh, If you read the rest of the passage, he quickly goes on and he shows that he didn't mean to incite violence. He meant, rather, that his call to allegiance, his call to accepting his lordship, it will bring conflict. Conflicts both among people and inner conflict of our souls. And just like any peacemaker who has ever lived, Jesus makes people mad sometimes because they struggle with what it means for him to be Lord of our lives. And yet that's the way that his peace comes. If you think about it, peace doesn't come without a struggle. Any peace that you've experienced, you've oftentimes had to participate in getting to that peaceful point, and it may have required a struggle. Remember what it said about what Simeon said about Jesus. He said that he would cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and he would be a sign that will be spoken against. In his ministry, Jesus is quoted in John 3. And I'll just summarize what he says. He says that people love darkness instead of light. And they hate the light because it exposes them for what they are. When you accept the lordship of Jesus Christ, he's going to expose the things to you in your life that are embarrassing, that are sinful. Uh, He's going to point out to you things that need to be released and things that need to be received, things that are of him and things that are not of him. And when you begin to follow Jesus and he begins to transform you, That can be challenging to other people. As one writer has said, just living an honest moral life will change things. It'll expose gossip in the office. It will expose corruption 
in the government. It will expose racism in the neighborhood. And it will reveal a lot of other things that don't match up with the values of being a follower of Jesus Christ. The peace that Jesus brings you may cause a conflict with those around you. Who Jesus is will change you and your values, and not everyone will be comfortable with your faith in Jesus. But it should be said, our behavior should always be peacemaking. It's Jesus in us that will make people uncomfortable. Truth of the matter, it's been like that from the beginning of Christianity. After the church was born, remember the church was born in the first century and, and the Roman Empire was in its glory and, and it was challenging. In the early days of Christianity, Roman society was virtually awash with gods, lowercase g, religious cults, with mystery religions. In that culture, it was expected that, when, that you should have your own private faith and you should have your own private gods. Yet when it came time to give public honor to the gods of the particular city that you lived in or to the divine emperor, the emperor of Rome was considered to be a god. Uh, so when it came time to give honor to the gods of your city or the Roman emperor, you were expected to participate. Roman homes, uh, Roman civic and public agencies, the marketplaces, the associations of tradespeople, the military units, they all had their patron gods. And there were regular public ceremonies dedicated to, dedicated to them. Even most formal dinners included acknowledgement of the local gods. So think about this. As a Christian, to refuse to participate would arouse suspicion. It would arouse resentment and anger. It would make people afraid that if you didn't worship the God of that city, that you were going to bring divine contempt down on the whole city. So to be a Christian in that culture, it quickly became clear that you were quite different from the other religions. Christians didn't have priests, they didn't have temples, they didn't make sacrifices. They saw sacrificing to other gods as idolatry, and so they would not participate. The exclusiveness of the Christian belief and the conviction of those Christians that Jesus was not just a God, but that, he, that Jesus was the God, put Christians on a collision course with nearly everyone in that religiously pluralistic society. Intolerant Christians appeared to be a threat to the whole social order. Historians explain that early Christians were, as a result, oftentimes they were disinherited, they were excluded from government jobs, uh, they were cut out of the best business relationships, and occasionally they were abused and imprisoned. Today, in our secular society, non-Christians don't fear divine reprisal, but increasingly, our culture sees Christians as a threat to social order. Tradition, traditional beliefs, 
Christian beliefs are once again seen as, as dangerously intolerant. As we've seen, there's a hostility to Christianity, to following Jesus. Scripture tells us about that. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, it says that we know we need God, but we repress the knowledge of God. All human beings have this desire for self-justification deep in our hearts. We want to justify what we do, how we do it, when we do it, the way we want to do it. We need to believe that we're competent to run our own lives and, uh, and to save ourselves. And, and anything that prevents this idea from functioning makes us angry. Jesus confronts that. In, in the letter to 1 Corinthians, we're told this about Jesus Christ. Paul writes, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So Simeon praised God for his Savior, but he also said, you know, Jesus is going to change everything. As your Savior, as your Lord, he changes everything. When you identify with Jesus... And don't hide that. You honor him, but not everybody will like that. The coming of Jesus as Savior and Lord, it, it changed history. It's how we tell time. It's how we, it's, we, it's how we look at the calendar. It has changed everything. So we need to praise him as our Savior, but we also need to understand that, that he's come to be our Lord. Some people will find that offensive as we make our allegiance primary to him. But he calls us to do that. He calls us to be peacemakers in the same process. We honor him by following him and making peace with all people. You remember the last sentence that Simeon said to Mary? He said, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary was a mother who watched her own son suffer and die. So you understand the sword that passed through her soul. Uh, truly, that happens to any parent who loses a child. You know, we admire Mary, we admire for her faith, we admire for her courage, we admire for her strength. She didn't always understand her son and the mission that he had as the son of God. In Mark chapter 3, there's an interesting encounter Mary and some of her other sons by Joseph know that Jesus is teaching in a place and they come to retrieve him because in the scripture it says they believe he's out of his mind. 
Yeah, there's this moment that recorded in, in the Gospels where Mary and Jesus' stepbrothers are trying to stop his ministry because they don't fully comprehend what he's doing. I wonder if you and I sometimes don't fully comprehend what Jesus wants to do in our lives to be our Savior and our Lord. And we're afraid people will think we're out of our minds if we let him be our Lord. You see, not only does following Jesus sometimes put our values into conflict with others, and we're going to have to address that lovingly. It's also going to put us in internal conflict because, let's face it, we have this continual struggle to follow Jesus and not follow the values of our world, follow what it means to be Jesus. So we need to recognize that we need to be faithful to him and make peace. He will expose our sin and our disobedience. We need his peace. True peace can only come internally when we repent of our sin and submit to his authority. The call of a man or a woman who believes in Jesus is to submit to the divine authority of the Son of God over our own authority or anyone else's. In Romans 6 and 8, I encourage you to read it. Paul talks about the inner conflict, the inner warfare between a Christian's old self and a Christian's new self. The old self continues to want to be, the old self continues to want you to be your own master. The new self knows the peace of letting God be God. When those two self-wills cross, there's going to be a fight. However, when we get through every one of those conflicts with God and finally say, not my will be done, but your will be done, we'll experience peace as we come under his lordship. Christmas Day, we need to worship God for sending us a Savior. But we also need to embrace the Lordship of Jesus for our lives. All God wants for Christmas is you. He wants you to receive His Son as your Savior, and He wants you to live under the authority of His Son. So what will you do? As we bring one year to a close and prepare to bring another, what will you do? Will you receive him as your Savior? Will you receive him as your Lord? I just want us to spend a few moments in prayer. I'll guide you, and then I'll give you just some silent time just to, to think and to pray and form your own words. To God, let's pray. God, we thank you for what this day means, that you sent your son into this world to be our Savior and to be our Lord. Today we have to decide, 
if we will let him be our Savior and Lord. So in this quiet time, tell him if you want him to be your Savior. Tell him if you want to submit to his Lordship. And then I'll close us in prayer. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to save us from our sins and to be our Lord. We receive, we receive him into our lives. We want to follow him. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to sing this closing song. I invite you to stand as we just tell God all we need is Jesus. close our service with a prayer that was sent to me. So if you would just bow your heads. Lord, today our hope is that we would be filled with awe and wonder and celebration of our Savior's birth. 
Lord, I pray that we would see the goodness of God all around us and that we'd be blessed to create special memories with those that we love. Lord, I pray that we would be able to slow down for a few moments today and reflect on the amazing gift that we were given in Jesus. Lord, help us remember today what Christmas means. Help us return to the familiar truths of Scripture and rehearse that timeless story so that our celebration on this Christmas day would be marked by our worship of your Son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you'd like to pray with somebody, I'll be up here afterwards. If you prayed that prayer to make Jesus your Savior, I invite you to come up. Go in peace. Merry Christmas. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. It's our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information about Valleybrook Community Church, please visit our website at valleybrook.cc.